Welcome to Decision Vision, a podcast series focusing on critical business decisions. Brought to you by Brady Ware and Company. Brady Ware is a regional, full-service accounting and advisory firm that helps businesses and entrepreneurs make visions a reality. Welcome to Decision Vision, a podcast giving you, the listener, clear vision to make great decisions. In each episode, we discuss the process of decision-making on a different topic from the business owner's or executive's perspective. We aren't necessarily telling you what to do, but we can put you in a position to make an informed decision on your own and understand when you might need help along the way. My name is Mike Blake, and I'm your host for today's program. I'm a director at Brady Ware & Company, a full-service accounting firm based in Dayton, Ohio, with offices in Dayton, Columbus, Ohio, Richmond, Indiana, and Alpharetta, Georgia. Bradyware is sponsoring this podcast, which is being recorded in Atlanta for social distancing protocols. If you like this podcast, please subscribe on your favorite podcast aggregator, and please consider leaving a review of the podcast as well. So today's topic is a topic that we've we've visited before. Um, we had Brandon Cooper on talking about pivoting a company, and, and today's topic is should I pivot my company? And as I mentioned when we Cross the 100 episode threshold that uh, I decided that I wasn't going to be afraid to revisit topics because, you know, a lot of people approach the approach the same uh, problem or decision with a different fact set with a different set of priorities and and with a uh, frankly a different set of circumstances and, and therefore uh, I've I've decided and. You know, the listenership seems to agree, given the rise of numbers we've had, <clears throat> that that it's okay to kind of revisit a problem again and again. We're not going to make this the pivot our company podcast where it's all pivots all the time, but but nevertheless, we we do want to. I do want to come back and <clears throat> revisit these conversations. And of course, we have this thing called coronavirus, which as of um, March twenty fifth, when we are recording this podcast. It looks like we are at least in a position where we're seeing our light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, we're not there. We're not post-pandemic. I call it trans-pandemic, but we're we're certainly getting there. And, and the, as many of us know, COVID has presented us with decisions we would not have ever imagined we would have needed to make. And probably if we did make them, we had to make them in a way that would have been different in a pre-pandemic uh, environment. And Brandon's discussion, Brandon's um uh, conversation was more about or or was about a circumstance where a pivot was required in a pre-pandemic scenario. But our guest today is going to come in and talk to us about the, the decision to pivot a company during the pandemic as a result of the pandemic. And I think a lot of companies can re- can recognize this. And even though we are emerging from the pandemic at this point, it's still going to be instructive because we don't know when that next external shock is going to happen. We don't know when the next pandemic is going to happen. I mean, frankly, you know, if we're honest about it, we don't necessarily know that we have COVID licked. I mean, I think right now we have the upper hand, but there are mutations out there. You know, we, we just, we just don't know. So I do believe that this is going to be somewhat of an evergreen topic for, for good or ill. And helping us with this is, is my, my longtime friend, Helene Lawless, who is the chief executive officer of Path Builders, an organization focused on moving women forward and increasing gender diversity in leadership. Extremely active in the community. Helene is a past chair and on the executive board of Junior Achievement of Georgia. She's been doing that forever, I know. And is a trustee of the Woodruff Arts Center, where she is a chair of its Women's Giving Circle. She serves on a bunch of other boards, too. It, it, it take half the program to list, to list all of them. Just take my word for it. She does a lot of stuff. Um, Helene was also recognized as one of Atlanta's most admired CEOs by the Atlanta Business Chronicle in 2020. She received the Gold Leadership Award from the Junior Achievement USA Board of Directors for her service to Junior Achievement. And she was inducted into the YWCA Academy of Women Achievers and was recognized as the guiding star by Emory's Executive Women of, of Goizueta, which is their school of business. She was trained as an engineer, which I did not know. And I'm embarrassed that I did not know this. I just, I, I never asked, that. but she was trained as an engineer and received her bachelor's and master's degree in chemical engineering from, uh, from North Carolina State 
and Purdue universities and spent 12 years at Amico and uh, BP corporations in plastics process design, product development, marketing, strategic planning, and company mergers and acquisitions. For 25 years, PathBuilders has focused on advancing top-tier talent through high-impact mentoring, professional development, and consulting with senior executives to create cultures where women thrive. Uh, boy, do we need that today. And Helene guides strategic decision and program development, consults with key clients, and represents PathBuilders in the community. Helene Lawless, welcome to the program. Welcome. I wish I sent you a shorter bio. Um, no, you know, I'm glad that we, I'm glad that we got that out there. You know, the cool thing is, I mean, I've had a lot of friends on whom I've known for, for some time and it's uncanny how many things I learn about them when I actually have to go and do the homework and learn about the bio. Um, fortunately I haven't found that somebody was like a convicted felon or anything that might be kind of (laughs) awkward, but, um, or, you know, a, a, a traitor to the state, but you know, I, I did not know that you had that long that you had that that long background in uh, in engineering and material science before you you moved into this and you know may, at some point i hope our conversation will come around to how does that background give you maybe a different perspective on the things that you do because i suspect that it does it does yeah as opposed to what i would I would expect a more kind of human resource background, for example. Yeah, I would tell you my team knows every single day that I'm an engineer. It, you know, it's a way <laughs> of thinking. It's a way of framing it. Uh, yeah, there's there's no question. Uh, and even in the processes of the things that we do at Path Builders, I, there's, yeah, there's engineering all around. So before we get into this, let, I'd like you to describe Path Builders. I mean, it really, you really have been, as, as your bio reads, a fixture in the community, um, what what does Path Builders do, and and what is, what is the origin story of Path Builders? Yeah, so our um, our focus is helping companies to move women forward and to elevate their best talent every single day. Um, and we're probably best known for large scale mentoring programs where we match women with mentors and peers and take them through experiential learning to to really equip them to be be better able to move into leadership roles inside their organizations. But, uh, you know, the company was actually an Anderson incubator business back in the 90s. I was a a mentee, actually, in one of the programs. So I was working for Amico at the time. They placed me in the program as a mentee. Uh, The gentleman with whom I was matched uh, as my mentor is still my mentor. I talked with him on Saturday. Um, So it it, uh, clearly was rather pivotal in my own career. So we're probably best known for those cross-company mentoring programs. Um, But I bought the company in 2002 after leaving BP and uh, initially kept the dynamic that the, the previous owners had in place, this model of mentoring women. Um, I felt right away a couple of things. One, they were starting too late. They were kind of starting with director level women who could be officers. And if you're serious about building a pipeline of female talent, you got to start earlier than that. Um, and two, we're, we're exclusively working with women. And to create environments where women thrive, you've got to be working with both women and men. So the, the, the nutshell is we work with organizations to move women forward. We work to really develop talent and leadership benches uh, for, with both women and men inside organizations. And then uh, I would say the last few years, what we have added to complement all of that is consulting at the C-suite on how do you create an environment where women can thrive and women can move forward? How do you change the dialogue in the C-suite? To, to be around how gender is strategic to really building a great company. So you, you were doing that. I know you had a lot of very high profile clients, but the thing that struck me is, is you've been working with the U S military for a long time now, at least you had been, I presume that's still the case. Um, and then one year ago happens, right. It was, it was just around St. Patrick's day or a little bit before then when frankly our world changed. Yeah. So you know, coronavirus happens. Next thing you know, by I guess April, a lot of us are told to quote shelter in place. Yeah. 
And what happened to Path Builders at that yeah, point? Yeah, so uh, I said the company's 25 years old. We actually, uh, last uh, March was the 25th anniversary, and we had this fantastic plan <laughs> that it was going to be a year of parties. And uh, my leadership team had actually built this fantastic idea. We were, instead of having one big event, we were going to have a whole year of pop-up parties. And uh, one of our clients, Westrock, had already signed on to be the first pop-up party. And we were going to be inside all of our clients, helping them to celebrate their commitment to women. Um, yeah, that was, and then a week later, we decided we're probably not going to have that, at least that first pop-up party. Um, so long story short, I had no idea that what started out as a year thinking it was going to be celebrating an anniversary, two enormous changes. So one, completely reinventing how we deliver. But I will also say overnight, we shifted from being a sales-driven sales company to being a marketing-driven company. That so much of, you've already highlighted how much I do in the community. My whole team is out and about, and it was very much being with people, talking about what we do that was one of the primary drivers of really where our clients came from. And uh, clearly those opportunities were gone. So, I mean, not only were we shifting how we do what we do, but we were even shifting how we built the pipeline for what we do. So as coronavirus hit, my own perspective, I'm curious where you kind of fall with this. My own perspective was, you know, I knew I was, I knew it was serious, but my own reaction was kind of incremental, right? (laughs) Things, things are changing, but do I have to necessarily blow everything up to survive I'm not there yet. So here are five or six things I think are going to be kind of small changes and maybe we can kind of ride it out. Um, was that your experience too? And if so, what were the small changes that you tried and maybe worked or didn't work? Yeah. So I, I'm fully transparent that there were four Hellenes. Like I, I, and I lived in each of those stages for a period of time. I mean, number one was the very simple denial, Helene. <laughs> yeah. you know, it can't possibly be happening. This isn't yep. the way we do things. Um, and uh, it, I, I really, I remember initially having that moment of paralysis of, oh my gosh, we can't do what we do in this environment. Um, and uh, you know, you, the reality of it was you just, you know, you couldn't survive that way. Right. So we moved to the, okay, if we have to, for a few weeks, do whatever. And so, uh, uh, that was bargaining. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. I can, I can hang right with Elizabeth Kubler-Ross right through this whole <laughs> dynamic. Absolutely. Um, but, uh, then we thought, okay, we'll do a couple of webinars from the basement of my house and it'll be okay. And uh, it was uh, talking about things that worked and things that did not work. Uh, We pride ourselves on flawless execution. And that means there are a lot of people monitoring different aspects of things. And so we were, we were doing what we deemed to be interactive workshops, but literally two of us in a basement, the rest of the team we were communicating with through teams. And so here I'm trying to deliver a workshop while communicating with my team on teams while silently communicating with my bless the bless his heart husband trying to manage the technology <laughs> um, and I will tell you the morning of a huge program launch I will never forget when the people across the street from us had one of those chipper trucks drive up in front of their house oh, my no. husband and I are literally like putting together our cash like how much money can, can we, could we come up with a hundred bucks to make these people go away? We can't have a cheaper run. Wow. What a story. So, I mean, re- recognizing they? those moments where we, you know, unbelievably they finished before, so okay. we didn't have to pay them. But, um, but then we had a client who just said, you know what, we've been waiting and we don't want to wait anymore. We're ready to go. And it was a client where um, we were working with developing um, all of their newly promoted managers and directors. And we had designed it as um opportunities where they would be convening in one of their offices. So either in um, Chicago or Atlanta or New York. And it was as much about developing managers and directors to be great leaders as it was about them building a leadership team. So there was a a tremendous, the the way we had designed the program was about being in person together and relationship building. And so we just kept postponing. We kept saying, well, we'll wait till we can do that. And they came back and said, you know what, we're, we're ready to go. We uh, figure it out. 
make it happen. And so we said, um, okay, will you give us the space to completely redesign the program? Because if we're not going to have, we, we can't just pick it up and, and pretend it's the same online. Uh, and so, you know, absolutely fantastic working with them, but we went back to the drawing board and we said, okay, so instead of a monthly gathering, this now needs to be two week touch points. And there'll be certain sorts of breakout groups we do when they're in session with us, but then certain learning teams that they're going to be connected to and we'll build discussion guides and threads through all of that. So like phase three for us was we we can make, so, I guess that's really phase two, right? like, like we can make something that's meaningful. Phase three for me was the, oh my gosh, this, this might be have some legs. <laughs> like, like we're actually um, creating uh, connectivity and relationship and trust building that, that is not only positively impacting these people as leaders, but now they're actually able to extend their network more broadly than they might have been able to otherwise. Um, and then uh, finally, stage four for me was this is probably something we should have done a long time ago. Um, in the fall, we launched a program completely designed, a cross-company program completely designed to be in the online world. Um, and first time coming out of the blocks, um, our amazing clients trusted us so much. We had women from 11 states um, the first time we, we set it up to go forward. And, um, you know, now it's such an interesting time to be having this conversation because now we're really trying to figure out who are we going to be after uh, when we're no longer trans pandemic, as you said, but when yeah. we are perhaps actually post. So, so I, I, I'm going to go off script here because what you said and the way that you said it brings something that I think is a really important, I hope an important observation. And that is that in all those sort of stages of grief, the one that I don't think that you had, or at least if you did, it lasted for probably about 18 seconds was the depression part, right? I think you, it sounds to me and knowing you as well as I think that I do, I think that this is right, is that is that you quickly recognize that, that, that just sort of things had to change and, and you can be frustrated with it all you want, but at some point you got to solve the problem. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, I think some of that is just a bent to, you know, the eternally optimistic entrepreneur, right. But I'd be a liar. I mean, a Elizabeth Kubler Ross would tell you, you don't get to skip stages. So clearly I had to be there. Right. And maybe it was a short visit point, but, um, There were certainly moments right before going live with big offerings where that that, you know, that inner voice does this. This can't be happening to us. Yeah, right. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But I will tell you, uh, again, unbelievably loyal clients. um, Suddenly the feedback we were getting from our uh, after we got out of the basement, (laughs) The basement, the feedback wasn't too great to be completely honest, but we were, we were back in the office and starting to build out a zoom studio um, in April and May. And uh, I will say largely because we had not done a lot of this, it was a brand new world for us. So we weren't tied to any mindset of what online delivery was going to look like. And so I think that the creativity, and I mean, I can't say enough positive things about the team around me, but the the creativity we had and the way we were um, redesigning to create experiential learning, we started getting such great feedback so fast that it it pulled us through that curve pretty quickly. So I'm curious, I think a lot of us have had to, on some level, become amateur video and audio engineers, yeah. right? Like it or not. Otherwise, I mean, you just can't, you can't communicate, right? And, and as much as sort of Zoom and, and other platforms are interesting, one, they don't all work the same, yeah. right? And, and, and number two, they are not the realization of AT&T's video phone. You don't just simply pick up a, the, the handset and you're talking to somebody on video. Yeah. You know, what was it like? How, how did you... Did, were you energized about the opportunity to pick up an entirely different skill set? Was your team energized about that? Were they scared? Were they frustrated? Was it a, a cocktail of all three? What was that like? Yeah, I 
I don't know that any of us took the time to contemplate it as a wonderful learning opportunity. Okay. <laughs> I don't Fair. know that that one existed. Okay. Um, I, I will tell you what the team says to me. The team says to me, there was just never a moment at which we weren't, and I guess they mean me, as, at, at which I wasn't just saying, we are going to do this. Like it just, we, we must, we will, the mission's too important. We've got to continue doing what we're doing. Um, I will say though, you are absolutely right in terms of um, this, this team of people who were expert at making something happen in a big ballroom suddenly becoming producers and on-screen personalities and, uh, and learning so fast that, uh, uh, you know, quite frankly, we were doing it before we even understood what we were doing because necessity drove us to do that. So I, I don't know. I mean, I think now in retrospect, it's easy to look back and think, oh my gosh, what a fantastic learning year it was. You know, in the moment, you just kind of feel like you're living in the hell of, okay, I, I don't know. And I can remember any number of times where uh, we would be getting ready to go live with a, a couple hundred people from all over the country coming on. And we would all just kind of look each other in the eye and say, uh, here we go. <laughs> That's, you know. I'd lost you. Yeah. We're going to push this button and hopefully it works. Right. Okay. okay. <laughs> yeah. 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 Cross your fingers. So, so I, I want to be clear. So, you know, Comparing kind of pre-COVID path builders to post-COVID path builders, what are the big differences? Or if you had to describe the before and describe the after, what, what do those look like? Yeah. So um, the bulk of our work was, uh, I mean, I, I literally, we have rented a tremendous amount of ballroom space in, in, the, in the Atlanta area. And we have traveled to our clients. So while we don't have offices in other locations, we've always gone wherever clients are. And mm-hmm. so, um, you know, spent, if I go back even just the year before pandemic, spent a lot of time in New York, you know, had clients in Texas and California and Chicago and wherever clients needed us to be, but live. And uh, we pride ourselves on uh, part of the development experience is rich interactive peer exchange. So what it looked like was somebody facilitating a workshop, tabletop exercises, super thoughtful seating arrangements that propagated networking, teaching people how to have dialogue and conversation. But I will also say that uh, much of our work is surrounding creating powerful mentoring partnerships. And so we always met every single individual with whom we were working individually for what we used to call an hour long behind closed door interview. Um, And so Mike, I was skeptical if even the interview piece would be able to have the same integrity to it, to really understand um, what was making people tick and what was, uh, what their opportunities were and what their challenges were. But the part, if I had to come down to one element that, that gave me the greatest pain Um, What we go through when we first introduce a mentee to a mentor, um, we have to be really focused on the fact that we don't want people to have preconceived notions because we're creating mentoring partnerships that would never happen on their own. And so if people are prejudging their partner before they meet them, that works against us. And so when mentee and mentor meet for the first time, the first couple of experiences that they have together was always pretty carefully planned in a live environment and recreating, I'm not, I wouldn't for a second dismiss how hard it was to get all the technology in place to do what we do. But when I think about the big lift, it was how do we redesign moments of individuals interacting so that the same sort of trust building relationship can be there to create the vulnerability that we know has to be there or people just don't grow. So uh as you say that a, a thought occurs in that i wonder if if path builders <clears throat> in some respects is impacted even more than most because because not only is your service delivery impacted but the downstream the downstream effects after your service delivery and and how you're training people to to communicate and build relationships 
are now impacted, right? It's not just that you have to deliver things over video, but now how do you, how do you be an effective mentor remotely? How do you build real relationships virtually? And that, that may or may not be the desire, the most desirable goal, but you know, July of 2020, it's all you got. Right? So, yeah, yeah. And, and yeah. It's, some of that's probably going to stay. I think most of us think that some of that's going to stay in, you know, in what proportion that remains to be seen. Right. And so I'm, I'm curious, is that, is that also kind of a part of the calculus that going, that, that makes it sort of extra, uh, extra challenging for you guys? Yeah. So I, I, you're, you're absolutely right on that. The, the, um, the, the creation of a lasting relationship. I mean, I comment at the top of our time that I'm still connected to my mentor and, and that uh, 20 years later is still my mentor. Um, that emotion of, will we do enough for that to even be feasible again? Um, I will tell you that what it took was being highly prescriptive like where it used to be, we kind of celebrated how we put people together, but then we gave them a little space to be natural there. We couldn't afford that anymore because now it's the silence of before a conversation and after a conversation, which we all know creates a degree of awkwardness. And so, um, I, I mean, thinking about how we were using music and what were the first, you know, the first questions they would ask each other. I mean, all of that was so highly scripted to bring them to a point where we knew that they would go forward. But now in answer to the question that you, you closed with there, Mike, the thing that has us so getting out of bed in the morning right now is the more senior people we work with, we're always going to be at a level where their companies would pay to put them on an airplane to go someplace. Yep. When I think of the work we're doing with manager level individuals who now have an ability to build a national network, that was never going to happen without this. We, um, we launch a program in three weeks that um, it's one of our programs for women, new managers. Um, it's got women from 15 states in Canada. And the thought that those individuals on a monthly basis are building close, trusting, personal relationships with women from all across the country, that was never going to happen for them at the manager level before. So it absolutely informs where do we go from here. That's fascinating. That, that that went in a direction I did I did not anticipate. But you're right. I mean, what 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 to me what you're really talking about is that it en- it enables you to scale your impact in a way that just simply would not have been possible in person. Right. The benefit of digital, at the end of the day, is scale. Yeah, yeah. And I will tell you, I'm in a CEO peer group. Uh, uh, we just at the uh, end of first quarter did our go around the room and all tell each other what, what we do well and what we suck at because we're peers and that's what we do for each other. Yep. Um, and uh, to a person, my whole group said, it, fantastic watching how you pivoted. Hate that it took a pandemic to make it happen. That, well, you know. It's that classic necessity being the mother of invention, yeah. right? Yeah. And But, yeah. but it, it also created the conditions too, because you know, but before in in the start of this thing, um, many of us are resistant. <clears throat> we're really resisted Zoom. You know, we talked about Zoom fatigue, and I got to do Zoom calls. And I can't speak for other people, but for myself, I, you know, I've gotten used to Zoom now. I've gotten used to seeing my mug on camera and yeah. become more comfortable that it's not nearly as emotionally and mentally draining as it once was. Yeah. Um. And, and you know. The pandemic also created the conditions, I think, for a market that was receptive to this kind of delivery. Agreed. Yeah. I will tell you, though, um, uh, you asked earlier around uh, learnings and things that we extracted from things that were challenging. One of the things we never saw coming was we need to be brokering very different conversations with our clients about the expectations that they're putting on their people. And so what I mean by that is like, we just assumed, you know, if we have an event, people show up and they listen. (laughs) And the downside of what you just said with that comfort is I have watched far too many people start to move into a mode of audit that quite frankly, the work that we do where we're focused on experiential learning doesn't play well in audit mode. And quite frankly, it causes us to be very provocative with participants in our programs about 
if you're auditing today, or how much of your career are you auditing? And you know, it at literally recognizing now that when we go inside a client, we're having to have conversations with the client around, we need you saying to your folks, this is a cameras on experience. This is a get into breakout groups and have dialogue. Because one of the things we have learned looking over the past 12 months is you having your camera off in a breakout room doesn't only negatively impact you from the lack of exposure, it's impacting the other people in the room. And I'll tell you the quote, one of the women shared with us was, yeah, I go into a breakout room and somebody's got their camera off and it's like, there's this big black creepy box sitting there. And mm-hmm. I wonder if the big black creepy box is listening to me or if it's going to speak. And I think we've got to be really clear about, and especially as we start to move into hybrid mode now, we're talking a lot with our clients around what are the norms that you're putting in place so that folks don't live in audit mode. Yeah, that, that, you know, that, that's interesting. And, and the, the one thing that I think in person, uh, the, the, the technology has not yet fixed in person and maybe, maybe virtual reality will be the thing that crosses it. But frankly, is just, is just knowing that the people in the room are paying attention. Yeah. Right. The downside to virtual is that it's too easy to pretend that you're paying attention when you're not. Yeah. And, and yeah, I, I can imagine that in particular, if a leader looks like they're quote in audit mode, right? What a disastrous message that sends to the rest of the group. Yeah. Right. Well, and as a, as, as somebody who's been accustomed to, to working with large groups in ballrooms, I always had the ability to walk over to a table and stand near someone and make them uncomfortable. Yeah. (laughs) I don't have that ability any longer. (laughs) Um, and, uh, and, you know, when you're in the space of developing people, people have to want to be a part of that. But I'm also going to be super frank. Um, one of our biggest challenges is there's a lot of really lousy online stuff out there. And if you're entering with the mindset that this is going to be another lousy online thing, and then we're bringing you together tossing you into a breakout and telling you to go on a scavenger hunt in your house as a way to get to brainstorm what it's like to work with people. And you're not, you're in a mode of thinking you're going to show up and have your camera off. We're a little bit of a surprise. Yeah. You know, so, so I want to ask you a question that may be, that may be blatantly unfair, but I, I, I'm going to kick myself. if I don't ask the question and, and your response to the last one sort of led into it. Um, and that question is this, is that, is, is the, is a digital, is a digital relationship perhaps even better for women with the challenges that they face? And I mean, two things, one is, you know, for good or ill, you know, women still bear primary responsibility for ho- home management and, and, and child development. And, you know, that, that in my view, unfortunately has not changed materially and you can't fix that, but at least the digital world, I think in some cases gives you a chance, gives you a a women a fighting chance to balance some of that, or at least levels the playing field where you're not present, where some of your other cohort are also not present for certain things. And you know, as well as I do, that can, that lack of presence, whether consciously or unconsciously can be a, a barrier to career development. And, and the second and I, I, I have to ask this question because it, it just begs the asking. Frankly, is it safer for women? You know, we, we, we both know of, uh, you know, I'm sure a hundred times more than I do, but the workplace can be very predatory towards women in certain cases, right? We have a governor in New York that seems like every day he's got another, another allegation, right? And I, I don't know if they're true or not, but it's bad optics at a minimum. At least, at least in a digital world, do women feel do women feel safer, right? Is, is the digital, is the digital world potentially a, a leveler of the playing field for, for some of the women that you're coaching? Yeah. I mean, it is, it's, it's an interesting question. And I think it's going to be something that we're all challenged with as we start to think about this whole return to work, back to work mindset and what that is. I will tell you, we're working pretty closely with women to get them today thinking about the strategy of what return to work looks like for them. Cause you're absolutely right. And I'll, I'll add to your list that, you know, women uh, in addition to childcare 
um, it's it's elder care as well. So I mean, it's on every yeah. side of the spectrum, right? That that women take those those up those the challenges on. I, I mean, I will say I where I, I I agree that there is an access element that is probably positive. There are no question women that because of getting kids on the bus miss and choose not to participate in things if I have to drive an hour someplace to get to an experience. So so no question that access element is there. I will tell you, we have mentoring partnerships where both mentee and mentor, especially in an environment where we've got about about 80% of our mentors repeat from year to year. Mentors are telling us that in some cases, they actually feel like they're getting to a degree of depth faster than they did when there was a lot of we're eating breakfast or lunch and we end up talking about a lot of random things there is. And, you know, part of that is the online world. Part of that is what you just said, that the comfort we're all building with zoom. Um, I, I hesitate to jump uh, into your thread of safety only because at the end of the day, there is a real world and we need to be in it. And I don't, I do not think that the answer is just, extracting ourselves from that reality as a way to advance in that reality. Um, And and I feel that um, we absolutely have to be really strategically thinking. I mean, Wall Street Journal had a whole section uh, last week around this whole idea of what return to work is going to look like, what hybrid is going to look like. And one one of the huge challenges managers are facing right now is figuring out how do I make sure that I'm continuing to create exposure opportunities for individuals to have informal conversations? Um, this this world is is particularly challenged in creating informality. So I totally see why the depth of a mentoring conversation actually might be there online. What we are hearing so loud and clear from women, Mike, is they didn't realize how much learning there was from the, I'm in the middle of a meeting and the senior leader turns to me and says one quiet thing and that becomes a launch point for something. Or I hang around five minutes after the meeting and get to express my interest in being on that new project. And the the loss of that informal interaction I think from a long-term standpoint would, would exceed the benefit of what you're talking about. Interesting. Okay. So get, getting back to the topic, the topic at hand, I'm, I'm curious, you know, you, we've talked about your service delivery um, having changed as a result of, of the pandemic. Has, has it impacted your business model at all? You know, for, for example, it, it occurs to me, there might be an opportunity for, for uh, more modular offerings or things that are pre-recorded, I, I don't know if you're pursuing that, but it seems to me there might be opportunities to have a, a, a more diverse business model as a result of the pandemic. Is that something you've thought about? And and if so, what what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so we, um, you know, it's interesting. The video thing comes up a lot, and and uh, I I can't say our our model is so interactive. Our, our model is. Um, is is so driven by scripting what the conversation is that you're going to have in a breakout and mixing you into a different breakout and having that experience. So um, I, I, will, I will say that, um, but yes, there are absolutely elements of the model that are changing. So in addition to the large scale programs that we run and the, the custom programs that we do inside organizations, we also have public programming. Um, and uh, uh, maybe a week ago, it became evident to us, you know what, public programming's never going back to a ballroom. Like that will forever be something that is all around reach and making sure we are getting more and more, um, in this case, women focused on great contact, great ability to, to interact. Um, you know, I, I will also say that clearly the business model has changed in terms of the ability to, to work with global clients. And so we have organizations now where, you know, we, we do each workshop several times and we pick up the team in Israel at one time a day. We pick up the team in Asia at another time a day. And um, uh, in, in, a, in a world where that used to mean jumping on an airplane and, and now being able to do, absolutely, we're able to design series for global clients in a way that we've never been able to before. Um, 
I, I will also just say that as we look at this world of, of not only the program execution, but the consulting, um, we work with C-suite leaders to really help increase their awareness around gender diversity, change their dialogue around diversity, get them to think about their talent plans. And uh, one of the biggest hurdles that has typically been in place for us to have a great session with a C-suite is their ability to be in the same place at the same time. And so absolutely that is an added opportunity that now we've got an ability to convene those individuals and I think be able to have at least more frequent touches. You know, you know be, it would be like, okay, they're gonna be together this day, pack it all in, we're gonna do a four hour session. Right. You know, where now we've got the ability to really thoughtfully think, how do we move an executive team's awareness? Because I can work with them for individual hours instead of a four hour session. Does that make sense? It does make sense. And then it also, it also um, for me raises the question then, does it, does it also provide, does the pandemic, has a pandemic with digitization or digital transformation, has that has that led to opportunities maybe for longer term times of engagements too? Because I imagine in, in your world you do a workshop, and the way I've understood workshop, I'm not that I'm a workshop guy, but I've understood workshops is okay. You you've had to basically get the unanimous consent of the UN General Assembly to get all the people at the same time. They're going to commit. They're going to be there in the same room, same time for four hours. Go, and if you don't do it in that four hours, it all blows up, and the planets don't align for five years. And and on the one hand, I can see the value in the intensity of that, but on the other hand, it seems to me that that it open it opens up now a vista or an, or an opportunity of a different kind of of instruction that can be more that can be delivered over time, which which has some benefits over a you know a one shot intense kind of workshop. Yes, yeah, so um, we've never been one shot intense kind of workshop people. Okay. But I will say you're absolutely correct in this environment aligning better with that. So our model has always been those one-shot things are great if you want to inspire people and charge them up. It's not going to develop people, right? Development is a step-by-step process over time where you try some stuff and then you've got people you can talk about with what worked and what didn't work and then you try some more stuff. And so absolutely this format allows us, I think, to be more impactful with that because of what you said. It's hard to get everybody to fly into the Chicago office to do that. Um, where I, my sense is where we will evolve to is there will be moments in programs that are like that. There will be a big kickoff where it is live and in person, but then the execution throughout the months that follow. You know, so beginnings, endings, things like that. But, um, but absolutely, this format lends itself to, to that ability to make sure we're having that high-touch um, connectedness that really allows development to happen. Do you ever record any of those interactions? Yeah. So that is the, yeah. So I will say that is different. It it did used to be a world where if you missed, you missed. Right. And so now, absolutely. Now we're recording so that if you are, if something does happen on that day or, you know, whatever happens that, yeah. So, I mean, now we're writing into all of our contracts with clients that we will record um, and make that available for the term so that people can get up to speed. So that's certainly that's a new ad that wasn't there before. We're talking with Helene Lawless of Path Builders and the topic is, should I pivot my company? Um, is is there anything from is there anything from pre-pandemic path builders that you're still trying to figure out how to bring into trans and post-pandemic path builders? Something that still is an, a work in progress that you want to make sure carries over. Yeah. Um, so uh, yes, and it's funny because we just uh, we 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 were just we were holding out and we weren't going to do it, and folks came to us and said you need to do this. So we in a so we've identified what we see as the four key stages in a woman's career. And so entry-level women, women learning to manage, women learning to lead leaders, and then executive suite women. Um, at the executive level, uh, we have always hosted these intimate, small, invitation-only dinners where we bring together women that are all facing the same sort of issues. And it was always a lovely 
private club, nice dinner, nice wine opportunity to come together, but really to dive dive into really substantive issues that that maybe you can't talk about all the time. And, you know, in almost in that vision of the officers club where you get to have some of those conversations. Yep. Um, and we had just been avoiding it, Mike. We just were like, oh, we can't we can't do an Inspiria dinner. Um, and women came to us and said, what what's up? Like we're, we're ready to have one of these. So literally uh, a couple of weeks ago, we uh, moved to heaven and earth and uh, worked with this uh, fantastic little wine shop in Atlanta where they created these little special little wine and cheese plates. And we had them tasked rabbited all over the time, all over the, all over the city. And then, oh my gosh, two people from Florida signed up and oh my gosh, somebody <laughs> who was happened to be skiing in Colorado signed up and somebody in Richmond signed up. And so, you know, suddenly we were working with um, all of these different uh, little shops sending little bottles of wine and food. Um, there's still something so magical about creating those safe environments where we get to have conversation and there's a social element to it as well. Um, and, uh, you know, they loved the first one. I'm not so sure my team did. <laughs> it was a little <laughs> bit of a lift yeah. making all of that happen. Yeah. Um, but clearly we've got to be able to come back to do something and maybe it evolves to where, um, you know, it travels from city to city. So, um, is as you look back at, at, at your, at your transformation, are, are there any, are there any decisions you look back on and said, you know what, if I, if, if I had to do that over again, I would have done it differently or sooner or later. Wow. Yeah. You'd think I would have been prepared for that question. Um, I mean, maybe the answer is no. I mean, maybe you're happy with everything the way it turned out, and that's fine. You know, I, I don't know that uh, it, that is not to make it sound like it was easy. That is not to make it sound like there weren't things that we didn't do particularly well. I'm, I'm just not one for regret much. Um, I mean, things that didn't go well, we, we fixed it the next time. Um, yeah. Now, if I think back to those first couple of webinars in our basement, um, I, I wouldn't mind erasing that from my memory. I will tell you, um, we uh, um, the very first that we did uh, out of the basement was a group mentoring program where there are three men. So everybody's from different companies, three mentees, one mentor. And uh, I'm not going to remember, but maybe there were 40 or some odd groups and um, I will never forget the first time we hit that button to go into breakout rooms. And I think it was, it took us, I think it took us half an hour to get everyone in breakout groups, which now totally cracks me up since that's now a 30 second activity. Yeah. Um, but yeah, was there stuff we didn't do well? Absolutely. I, um, I, I don't have regret. I think everything we did, we learned from, and we may have changed it, but I just, um, maybe we needed to screw that up to be able to figure out what it needed to look like going forward. And I, I hope that doesn't sound too gratuitous. I just, I, I, I'm not sure I would actually do it differently. I, well, I look, I, 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 I think if it's true, it's not gratuitous. So, um, you know, I, 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 if you think it's true, I'm sure that it is. So that, you know, that, that's fair. And look, I, you know, you said yourself, you know, the first, first few webinars, you know, that that's a learning curve. We've all had to learn how to present uh, in this world. And and for me, you know, you do much more presenting than I do because that's you do for a living. You know, I, the first few of these first few webinars I've done over zoom where you have to generate all the energy yourself. There's no audience yeah. to generate it from. They yeah. look like hostage tapes, man. <laughs> I mean, they literally look like I was kidnapped someplace and they just took the, they just ripped the duct tape off of my mouth yeah. and, and you've got to free some people out of a German prison somewhere, or I'm not going to get let out. Basically, yeah. They're that bad. Yeah. I, I mean, I will tell you though, I mean, it's caused us to think about, I, I mean, the, the bookends on a meeting are, are silent, which is such a different norm, right? One of the things we've focused on a lot is, is sound and feeling and how there's got to be music on the way in. And um, one of the things I was most struck by was in, early in the pandemic, um, one of our participants said to us, 
that she missed the energy of the room. And, and when, we, when we did a deep dive on that, what, what we really recognized was when you're surrounded by other people who care about what you care about, even if you aren't hearing the words of the conversation, the energy of that conversation, when everybody cares about the same thing, opens you up to listen in a way that isn't there when it's silent and you're sitting at your home PC drinking a cup of coffee and then boom, it turns on and somebody's speaking. Like none of that preparedness for, for embracing insight and knowledge is there. And you're absolutely right. I mean, we've worked really hard to create, um, how do we create mood and how do we really think about, so, I mean, this is a, uh, perhaps a silly little thing, but now that we've done it, it's another thing that we think we'll probably never go back. Um, we've, we now create welcome kits for all of our participants where a box comes and it's a path builders box and you've got your path builders pen and your path builders coaster and your path builders. Um, now we're doing ring lights for their, for their laptops. I mean, that, that, you know, we, we need to do something for them to feel that sense of connectedness and togetherness that they might be getting if they were in a ballroom together. Um, but now that I think of some of those elements, that's some of the stuff that just won't go away. You know, that's really interesting. It's, that just gave me an idea I'm going to steal from my own practice. I mean, the, 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 the move to virtual and digital does provide an opportunity to embrace a different kind of client onboarding, right? And, and who, doesn't, yeah. who doesn't love to receive a welcome kit? Right. And it can be a stupid, it could be, you know, one of those stress balls or whatever, and maybe a, maybe a COVID mask or something. I don't know, you know, if there's a logo on it or a, yeah. you know, some big ass mug or something like this. Right. But, you know, and, and it's, it's those, those, those simple things. And, you know, even grownups like to receive something in the mail that isn't a bill and yeah. something that they didn't pay for. <laughs> yeah. That just is never going to go away. Right. Yeah. So I may, I may steal that idea. Yeah, actually. That's a great yeah, right. uh, yeah. client onboarding idea. Um, Helene, you've been very generous with your time and I want to be respectful of that, that generosity. Um, but I'll, I'll close with the question I always close with, which is if one of our listeners or some of our listeners have a question that we didn't cover, they like to go into more depth than we were able to today. Can they contact you with questions and, and about how you pivoted? And if so, um, what's the best way to do that? Yeah, absolutely. And thank you for asking. So website pathbuilders.com, I'm sure is the easiest uh, not to be confused with Pathfinders because the car makes people think Pathfinders. We're actually Pathbuilders. Um, but I will say um, not only about pivoting, but um, Mike, I feel like we've gotten such insight into what could be holding women back right now in this, I'll go with your phrase, trans pandemic uh, environment. And if that's something people find value in, in talking about as well, I'd love to talk with folks about that. Excellent. Well, that's going to wrap it up for today's program. I'd like to thank Helene Lawless so much for joining us and sharing her expertise with us. We'll be exploring a new topic each week. So please tune in so that when you're faced with your next business decision, you have clear vision when making it. If you enjoy these podcasts, please consider leaving a review with your favorite podcast aggregator. It helps people find us so that we can help them. Once again, this is Mike Blake, our sponsor is Bradyware and Company, and this has been the Decision Vision Podcast.